All right. I'm sure some people will join us as we begin our introductions. Again, I'm Ginger Schlanger. I'm from the DScoop Learning and Education Platform. I've got a great team with me from DScoop, Anamolto, Andrea Martin, Ayan Gunter is with us. And you are at Color Perception and its Effect on Behavior Choices and Emotions. It's an engaging and exciting webinar. And we are being led by Marcin Dabrowski. He's the founder and owner of EM, and he also teaches through his EM Academy. Marcin, if you go to the next slide, I'm just going to let everybody know that originally you are on mute. That helps us just reduce the background noise. But of course, we want to hear from you as we go through the webinar. If you have questions, we ask that you put them in the Q&A window down at the bottom of your screen. That helps us kind of keep track of the questions. Marcin will answer as many as he can during the webinar. And of course, we'll save time at the end for some Q&A, some engagement. We are recording today's webinar. It'll be available to you in a couple of days on dscoop.com. And if you have any questions after the webinar, or if you or your colleagues visit the recorded version, you can always email your questions to hello at dscoop.org or post them on dscoop.com. And we will get them to Marcin and he will answer them for you. And now Marcin, I'm gonna let you tell us a little bit more about yourself, color expert, technologist, patent holder, and we will uh, let you kick us off and launch. Thank you very much. Um, hello, hello everybody. Um, I'm Marcin Dombrowski. Uh, I'm from Poland. Um, I'm R&D engineer. Uh, basically, uh, color is what uh, well, what turns me what turns me on. What I actually um, like very much. Um, I think I have. Um, a lot of uh, luck in my life because uh, the color, uh, high quality imaging um, that goes with photography and printing as well uh, is both my passion and my um, daily work life. So um, I would like to share with you uh, several thoughts um, regarding, um, regarding color, color perception, um, because I believe that getting to understand what on the basics um, of our uh, interpretation of um, the, the phenomena as, uh, as the color is, um, can actually give us a lot of um, data how to communicate with each other. And I don't only mean uh, regarding marketing campaigns or uh, adjusting your uh, printers, but I actually mean um, in your daily life as well. Uh, first of all, thank you so much, Discoop, uh, for doing this uh, together. I'm very happy that, um, that we can do this webinar. Uh, thank you so much for attending because uh, I know there are a lot of people here. Uh, so I'm actually honored that you uh, decided to spend uh, this hour um, to uh, get to know something more. Um, so as I'm in the color for past 20 years. Um, I'm very interested in color. Yeah, tw 20 years, I'm not kidding here. Uh, I'm a bit older than I do look. Uh, and um, basically, as the, the more deep I went into the color, uh, the, more, um, the more I realized that um, the, the trichromacity, the, um, the complex formulas, um, spectrophotometers and other uh, measuring devices. Yeah, it's, it's very important, actually very much is, but it actually gives you very uh, narrow space 
explore is. And then I started studying technology. Um, how do we um, actually get the color? What's happening in us? But actually, doing this from the biology side was not ever was not enough. Then I started uh, going into uh, something a bit more, uh, which is um, anthropology of color. And that will be part of my um, last, I think, year or two um, that I'm going into the color. So uh, it's not going to be extremely scientific, but I hope it will open your eyes um, onto a lot of different um, aspects of color. Basically, to start about color, it's not that easy because we can try from historical um, part, but historical will go with uh, primary colors. You will have to know what the primary color is. Uh, so the light perhaps. But well, the light goes uh, into the physics as well. And um, as well as the spectrum, as well as the colors itself. So still not the best uh, idea to do it. So how can we do? I think that Starting with historical, it's not the, the, the worst idea, but let's do uh, with the question that I always ask, um, regardless of the type of the color curse, um, course that I have. So the first question, how many primary colors do you think there are? There is a pool, uh, you will be able to answer, give the answer right now. So, Everybody has a different idea um, about the colors that he or she is working with. So, for example, if you are a web graphic or a painter or a politician, you will, um, you will have a different idea about the color. Yeah, both politician as well. So, for example, um, web graphic might be working in, for example, um, RGB mode. Uh, the painter will be working in CMY mode. And the politician will ask you and how many colors do you want it to be? So the funny thing is that everybody might have different agenda. What do you think about it? How many primary colors are there? Um, according After to your vote, We're going to vote right now. Everybody see the polling question. We're getting our answers in. Give you another few seconds to Let us know what you think. How many primary colors? <laughs> that depends. That's funny. Three, four, infinite. All right, we're still voting, Marcin. Okay. And I think I think we I think we got it. Okay, so what are the results? What we see right now is the answer for that depends. 20% of the people attending think okay. that depends. Seven I'm sorry, 57% of the people think there are three primary colors. Okay. 20% of the people think there are four primary colors. Okay. And 3% of our attendees think it's infinite. Ooh, very nice. So that's what you got. What's the correct answer? I would go for, I would go for first three. Why not only one? Let me be uh, very precise here. Everyone has different way of working, different way of uh, getting their, um, their data, their color data, what the primary color actually is. 
this is a color that cannot be creating using the others that are uh, creating the group of primary colors. So when you can use, for example, two or three colors to create the fourth, the third color, that means that the newly created color cannot be primary color. So let's look at this the historical way, and then I will um, answer the question in full. So we've got um, three colors that were at the beginning. We are talking about black and red uh, figure, um, figure pottery, uh, figure pottery painting, um, and that actually meant we had black figures or red figures painted um, on the vases, basically, basically on the pottery. So we are talking about very ancient times, seventh to fifth uh, century uh, before Christ. Then we had um, a lot of changes occur and I want to go straight to the uh, interesting part and the important part. Let's start with the important part. Then we have um, R, Y, B, uh, red, yellow, blue, and this is uh, 17th century. Uh, those three colors were chosen as the primary colors corresponding to the painters. The painter palette are three primary colors and actually this is the model that is still actual. So three primary colors for the painters are red, yellow, and blue. Um, the black and the white were treated uh, as a color modulators. So they actually do exist, but they they making some changes um, into the way we are perceiving the color. But in terms of colorimetry, they are the same colors. Um, then the very interesting period, the Impressionism came and we also received additional color, color white. Why white? Um, do you need white to create the color? Not so much, but think emotions when you are making um, pastel colors. So there will be um, colors that can be vivid, very bright, but still uh, opaque and they make you feel, well, actually they make you feel very comfortable. So the additional white color makes a lot of difference. If you can do this at home, please try to mix, for example, pink color using um, red uh, and white, or, and do this one more time, uh, use a lot of water, dilute the, um, the red pigment, the, the red um, ink, and put it on the paper. So you will have white from the paper and from the first example, you will have white using white and the red ink. So the difference will be actually huge. You will see uh, that the white can change a lot. And then you have something extra. We are talking about uh, cinnabar, we are talking about gold and ultramarine. There are three basic, three primary colors from the Renaissance. Those three pigments were chosen because of their price. Because they were so hard to get, they were also very expensive. So the demand for those colors was huge. So at that time, those three colors were chosen as the prime. But when we go further, right now we've got, as I told at the beginning, red, yellow, and blue. 
So what does it actually mean? When you are a painter, you are using those three colors. When you are a, um, when you are a printer, you are using cyan, magenta, yellow, black. So you've got four primary colors. And yes, the black is very important. But when you are a graphic designer, the web designer, when you are a photographer, you are using red, green, and blue. So you've got three, but completely different. Do you need subtractive mixing uh, way of colors uh, like you're doing with ink? No, you need additive. You need red, uh, green, blue, then the same system that you have on your screen. So everybody um, for example, the photography, uh, we're talking about 1874, Nadar. Um, he started coloring his um, photographs. So even though he was using only um, black and white, he was using only light, not in terms of um, color, but in terms of intensity. He was also using um, inks. Uh, paints and he was coloring um, his photographs. So he was actually combining the light with um, the subtractive way of mixing him. So the way we create color is actually what we intend to do or what we can do. It's, there are no very strict regularities that you can do this way, this way or that way. Sometimes you can mix. There is one very interesting space it's called transmissive um, space, color space, when you are making prints on a backlit. And then you are using additional light that's on the back. So you've got printed foil and with additional light, you receive new color palette. So like the city light advertisement. So what you are actually doing is you are once again combining two different uh, color models, two different ways of uh, looking at um, uh, photographs, for example. So think about magenta, think about vivid pink. When you put it on, um, on a foil without backlit, it will be very, um, it will be opaque. Yes, it, Yes, but unfortunately, it won't be so interesting. It won't be so vivid. So when you are using additional light, it will change completely. Every single place in the world has its own color culture. Think about, think about um, Scandinavia, for example. Um, they are using very soft colors. They are not using um, very uh, hard contrast. But when we go, for example, to the very far east, we will see uh, a lot of uh, vivid pink, we will see uh, green, we will see purple, we will see violets as well. Um, so the depthness of the colors that, that is in the Far East, like uh, India, for example, uh, Thailand, requires additional colors because from red, yellow, and blue, you won't be capable of receiving that mm, palette. So green, for example, cannot be mixed uh, with uh, yellow and blue to receive very vivid green. You need additional ink. So for example, Hewlett-Packard, the Indigo um, division team, um, used fluorescent inks actually to mix special vivid green and vivid pink um, inks. And they created um, special device links to um, 
to make reproductions of photography for the Far East market very natural to them because they are using such colors, such vibrant colors, and they needed those. So actually, it's not CMYK, it's actually CMYK plus vivid, magenta, uh, vivid pink and vivid green. So we are talking about six primary colors. So what's the answer? It actually depends. You need to have the primary colors that are needed to your um, to match your goal. Um, color is relative. Color is um, for everybody else. Uh, for everybody, uh, the color will be something else. So um, it's normal that if, if I'm going to change my shirt from blue to red, the color will change. It's also um, normal for a lot of people that when I'm going to change light from fluorescent to halogen, the color will change as well. So you have light that's, um, that's using, um, let's say, free, uh, it's full spectrum light, but we are using um, RGB um, cones. Uh, so in our eye, in our retina, so we are looking at the light as RGB. Then it's, um, it's being, um, uh, written by um, yellow surface, uh, the blue wavelength is being absorbed and we've got reflected green and um, red wavelength. So what we are going to see is combination of green and red and that for us will give um, yellow because the green and red in combination will give us yellow and this is uh, what we are going to see. So you, you have RGB, um, con connected with uh, CMYK and then you see RGB one thing more. So you need three things in order the color phenomena to appear. First, it will be light, then it will be the surface that the light reflects um, from, and then at the end you've got observer. When the light's going to change, the color will change. When the subject that uh, reflects the light will change, the color will change as well. But when the observer will change, the color will change. And that means every single one of us sees the world differently. And this is something that we seriously should accept. Don't fight it. Um, don't try to convince somebody that no, it's not brown, it's beige. He will use the vocabulary that he actually has and, that, um, and using a lot of different um, historical elements from his life to describe color in the one way or another. The color is three-dimensional. Uh, it really is. Uh, we are using three words uh, to describe color. Hue, saturation, lightness. For example, uh, we can use um, hue, uh, saturation, brightness. Um, we can do different uh, color system, but we need three words. Those hue, saturation, and lightness are actually the basic ones that we are using to describe colors. We can uh, add uh, bright. Um, the color as the saturated color, we can use uh, the chromacity and vividness as well. So we've got two additional um, namings of the color. Uh, you can also use the word like the color is deep. So the deepness, the depth of a color. Um, Basically, if you are going to read a lot, and I don't mean um, poor books uh, like Fifty Shades of Grey, but the proper books with uh, 
vocabulary might expand. And those will be the words um, that might be useful to describe the color as you perceive it, as you feel it. The color depends from you as well. So everybody will see the color different. There is additional um, name that we can use and uh, that will be the color is pure. Well, is it? Can color be pure? If we think that, for example, our um, perfect red is a certain red from Pantone swatch, then if we are going to make it darker, we might feel that this red stopped being pure because our red was very vivid and bright. And we, when we made it darker, we, for example, used some black additional um, pigment to do it. So at the end, we received darker color that stopped being as pure as we see um, the black. Sorry, as we see uh, red. There's something more in terms of our feeling. We can have two different prints. One print will be made, for example, from uh, inkjet um, press. Second print will be made for, from offset press. And you will see that one page, one color, one sample, one patch, although the colors are the same, you will feel that the one print is better to you, is superior to the another. Um, the color might be less homogenic. The print might be not as pure as you would like it to be. So please look at those um, two um, images. At the top, you've got rosettes uh, from creating the very bright gray. Uh, you have cyan, magenta, um, yellow, and a bit touch of a black. And at the end, you've got only very bright um, gray. So you've got two prints. It's actually the same color, but you can see it differently. When you look from some distance, uh, the color will remain the same, top and the bottom, but the way you are perceiving it will be different. Uh, in here, you've got samples of um, five differently printed colors. And once again, this is exactly the same color as I um, on every single um, patch. So as you see, the print can be pure, can be homogenic, and that will be um, results of a, a different way, um, different screening. So what's next? Then you can use certain way to communicate colors, like for example, using Pantone swatches. And the Pantone swatches, when you've got uh, solids uh, imprinted, you will have one pure color on the, whole, um, on the whole sample. And you will see that this color is rich, is full, is um, very opaque, and um, it will be also extremely homogenic. So that might be your goal. But when you are trying to simulate the same color with C CMYK, for example, or CMYK OVG or any other system, then you will see it's a bit different. So you can actually do something extra like creating special ink. What is color? Every single us, every single of us see color differently. 
I said it several times, I will say it, uh, say it several times more because this is extremely important. And we can use different names to describe certain color. Um, so you, will, you might have um, an argument uh, with one to each other because you will see one sample, but you will use different naming. For example, a lot of printers are using the word red to describe magenta and the word blue to describe cyan. Why are they doing it? When they have ink um, in large cans, the magenta actually looks like red and the cyan also looks like deep blue. So they're using those two words. Of course, if they would be printed for, uh, they would be printing, for example, the calendars, they will, would have uh, most likely additional Pantone red. Uh, so my question is how they would describe it. Red one and red two, the new red and the old red. So sometimes using certain vocabulary might help you and uh, it also might uh, give you into trouble because when you're going and, and you're talking to a printer that uh, is working for 30 years and using red as a term for magenta, when you tell him magenta, he might not know what's, what are you talking about. So the same vocabulary is something additional that you should um, take, um, take care of uh, when you're going into discussion because everybody, will um, be raised in, uh, in, in different family with different books, uh, different way of uh, pronunciation, uh, with uh, different vocabulary. And at the end, he might use different words, different palette for um, colors that you know. Let's start with uh, green. Do you know why uh, the sergeant uh, are wearing green aprons um, for, uh, for surgery, for example. At the very beginning, it wasn't that. It, they were using actually a white. Uh, so when you take a closer look at um, the photo from the Nick uh, TV series, you will see that they are wearing white. And actually, this, uh, this is an upgrade because at the beginning, uh, the surgeons were operating in suits. Uh, then they heard uh, that there is something like hygiene and uh, they should change uh, for uh, something else. So they started using white. What happened there? When they were operating and there is a lot of blood uh, during the surgery, uh, the, blood, uh, the blood stained um, were extremely contrasty for them. So they were unable to focus on the surgery itself because the contrast of the white apron and the, uh, the blood was so strong that uh, they couldn't focus properly. So the green was red is the opposite color to green. So the green apron was done only to make the blood look gray. And it actually does that. There's one additional um, aesthetic, actually, uh, argument to change it to gray. Uh, the surgeon after surgery simply looked like a butcher with all the blood covering his uh, white apron. And that wasn't the best message to send to the world. So the green apron changed a lot. But 
when you think about the medicine, you would uh, like to think, um, you would like to feel the world clean and sterile, right? And green doesn't give you that. That goes with blue. The blue is very, very interesting color. It actually isn't that much, uh, that old as all the other colors. Blue is difficult to find. The blue pigment is difficult to find in the nature. Of course, it exists. But when you compare it to others, like for example, to green, to red, the blue will be very, very, very small part of that. And I'm not talking about purple, I'm talking about blue. So what the purple is, right? For example, there is a Mota tribe uh, from the Banks uh, Islands, and they differentiate colors um, based on three categories, shyness, tone, and texture. So for them, blue sky and green leaf has the same color. Blue sky and green leaf has completely the same color. When we go further, there's a, a Himba tribe um, in the Namibia uh, that, that count of um, uh, 50,000 strong. And they have four names, four names for all the colors. And those names are related to the day, um, to the part of the day when they go for the hunt. So they, uh, they differentiate um, using uh, the time of rise, midday, dusk, and evening or night. So they, have, they don't have blue in their language, not at all, but they can distinguish green very accurate, very precise. There was actually a test conducted um, some time ago when a lot of samples uh, of green were in, on, on the circle and one square from green was changed to blue. So you got green, 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 one blue. And people from that tribe weren't capable of recognizing the blue. Why? They see blue sky and they do see green grass, but because they are not using the words to describe the color blue, they don't see it properly. They might not see it at all. So actually, when you are going to expand your vocabulary, your language, you will be able to distinguish more, more colors as well. Maybe not from day one to day two, but during the time. The practice goes to your skills directly in this area. For example, in my language, in Polish language, I have more than 10 distinct words to describe color blue. Blue. When you go, for example, to, um, when you go to England, uh, when you go to the States, how many words do you have to describe blue? And I don't mean uh, small, and I don't mean the combination of words like navy blue or bright blue. I mean very distinct words. Uh, you've got ultramarine, you will have indigo, uh, you will have violet, um, azure more, most, most likely, maybe sea, but what more? Uh, so you see, each language has its own way of describing colors. When we go to the blue a bit further, um, 
in ancient culture, actually gold sometimes was less um, prominent, was less wealthy uh, regarding to your status than blue. Because blue pigment was so difficult to acquire that um, the blue was more important. Um, so the blue robe would give you uh, more status than the gold um, elements um, on your robe. When we go a bit further, um, there was a wonderful time in art. Uh, Johannes Vermeer um, is, um, is a painter that um, painted, of course, uh, the girl with the pearl earring. Um, you might know it uh, from um, the movie. And um, Scarlett Johansson uh, played that girl. And um, he was using ultramarine to paint the blue areas. The ultramarine was very, very, very expensive. And it actually comes from the stone uh, called uh, lapis lazuli. Uh, ultramarine, you might think it, the name comes from very deep blue, that it goes very deep in the sea. So this is name of the color. No, it actually means is beyond the sea because you would have to travel across the sea uh, to get from, I think it's, it was from Afghanistan, uh, from the mines, uh, the lapis lazuli um, was there um, um, taken and uh, smashed into very tiny pieces. Uh, and after that, you had the pigment uh, that gave you the blue. Uh, he actually uh, almost bankrupted his family because of his fondness to the blue areas um, of his paintings. A lot of colors, their names come comes directly from, um, from the subject. Like for example, orange. You might think that the orange and comes from the fruit directly. Not at all. The orange actually came, uh, was the description of, um, of the fragrance. After that, it became the fruit. And after got that from fruit, it became the color. But did people needed actually color, additional color uh, orange? Not so much. They actually had yellowish red at that time and additional color called saffron. Think about it. Saffron, it's a spice. Saffron and orange are not that far away. Now think about what additional, um, what additional memories you have when you think about, uh, about saffron and about orange. Think about chef in the kitchen. When you are going to describe him that his new plate, for example, um, tableware or whatever else, will be orange, he might think that it will be more inexpensive, it will be fruity, it will be fresh, it will be colorful. But when you give him the word that the color will be saffron, it actually can give him idea that it will be a bit more luxurious, it will be more prestigious, and it will be also a bit more heavy, because the saffron as a spice can do it for you. There's, with orange, something more. Orange is the new black, you know it, right? Um, if we will go a bit beyond the, uh, the TV series, you 
might think that it's a phrase um, that the colors, the sheet colors uh, from the black dress should be orange right now. But actually it gives you a lot of additional meanings. So if there wouldn't be a Coco Chanel with their little black dress, we would have a little black dress. So in Polish, actually, we have shortened version, little black. And everybody thinks instantly that this is, this is about very classy dress, a bit shorter one, of course, um, but there's also additional usage for this um, phrase, uh, little black, and it's called for the coffee, coffee lungo. Uh, so it's a bit uh, larger espresso uh, with um, some part of water. And little black means chic, means style, means, means that you do something according to designers, for example, or you do it simply uh, to show off. The black color itself with some small combination and what happened in the history gave us additional meaning. But the black, the black has a lot of additional meanings, of course, I'm not going to go there. Let's focus on one thing about one aspect. A lot of people are saying that white and black are not colors. Is the black a color or not? My question is, what is black? Is this black? Or perhaps, my um, watch stripe will appear black to you. How many colors do we actually see? Some say several million, some say uh, 10 million plus colors, some say uh, several thousand colors even. Can we tell exactly how many colors do we see? It's individual for every single human being because if I can differ differentiate more colors, then I can see more colors. If somebody that I'm having discussion with cannot do it, can differentiate significantly less colors, then for them, for he, for she, um, there will be less colors in the world because he doesn't need three different names for one single color, right? So number of colors is individual for every single human being. Is the black a color or not? In my opinion, yes, it absolutely is. If we would go, for example, for the uh, new paint called Vanta Black, so this is the black that uh, absorbs a lot of light, like 99.8%, for example, um, and it means that you will see no shapes whatsoever because the whole light will be consumed um, by this paint. And that will actually give you sense of so deep black that, that, that you shouldn't think about anything more uh, deep um, than that paint. Does it mean that every other black is not black and it's gray? We have to make a definition. What is black and what is white? But still, when, you make, when we make a measurement, like a spectral measurement, for example, those colors will be described somehow. So um, I see that white and black are colors. Um, Hello, Marcin. Marcin, we have a quick question about, yes, um, can, uh, there's a question about, can you show us in an example how we all see 
black and white and neutrals differently. And I know you have a polling question for us that does just that. Yes, I do. Uh, if we can like wait two minutes, uh, okay. then I will gladly 40. go to this. Okay, yes, good. I just wanted wait. to, yeah, we're 40 minutes in. Okay, great. Okay. Um, the culture gives us also the background for meaning of colors. For example, there's a um, um, festival of color that is very famous right now around the world. Uh, so people are running on the streets and are spraying themselves with the color powders. So it's actually a festival of color called Holi, and it comes from uh, Nepal, from Hindu. Uh, people are dancing around fires, uh, they are burning the devil, this is the idea. Uh, in the morning, participants eat, drink, and spray themselves uh, with a colorful powder or colorful uh, colored water. Why? It's actually to increase their sexual activity and uh, to stimulate uh, fertility. Um, every single that kind of holiday has certain meaning in their culture. Of course, what do we like? We like the part when we spray ourselves uh, with a powder. Let's go to the red color. I actually enjoy red uh, a lot. Um, a lot of people are thinking that red might be the color of the skin. We've got Caucasians with white, we've got Afro-Americans with black, we've got Asian with uh, yellow, we've got Native Americans with red. Uh, but actually red color for, um, for Native Americans is a terrible name because we can use very, um, a lot of different color names that would give us um, more, much more detailed description. It, the red color actually comes from um, the Indians painting their faces uh, with um, the red um, pigment, red dye, uh, it was the color of war and it was also, also to protect themselves from the insects. So not always what we are naming is actually because this is the color. Very often it relates to something else. So the history, the culture does matter a lot. For European iconography, red is evil, red is devil. Um, Red-handed, it was actually a poacher in the Scotland, it came from 11th century. Uh, somebody was cut during killing uh, animals that he couldn't do. Um, and he was red-handed because he had blood on his hands. So now we are using red as a symbol to something that's, uh, well, simply bad, simply wrong. When we go further, there was a scarlet letter A painted uh, or actually sewn um, to the women who committed adultery. And uh, the, the scarlet, the scarlet like red, was uh, information that uh, she was in shame and she committed an, an, an offense. What's more with red? When we look at um, matadors and uh, the bullfights, um, the corrida, why the color of the cloak uh, here is red? A lot of people might think that the red is because the bulls do react solely on red or it makes them furious. No, nothing of such. They are, the bulls actually seize the movement of the cloak and then they react. But it could be also green or yellow, it actually doesn't matter. But the red was very convenient in terms of dress of a matador because if they got hurt, um, 
the blood that would be uh, that would create a stain uh, wouldn't be visible on the red color. Uh, but let's go further. Red Bull, you've got the energy drink. But once again, red doesn't work on the bull. But still, we've got additional connotation. So when we are trying to use red, we are trying to make um, some statement regarding activity that red here at this very moment uh, means we are very active, something is happening, a lot of energy is being used there, or it's being um, as an um, alert, as a danger. Uh, red is also a color of China festival. Uh, royal red, we've got also, it's part um, of uh, my, um, my culture, um, communism, uh, red party. So when you are trying to communicate with somebody, like for example, with my parents that uh, used to live um, in the communist time for a long, a long period, then for them, the red won't evoke positive emotions at all. Red flag means also resistance. And it goes to French Revolution in um, 1789, um, as far as I'm concerned. So let's go to the question and let's go uh, to the additional poll. You will see right now four bananas. Which of those banana is neutral gray? Which banana, A, B, C, D, is neutral gray? gray. I'm sure that the poll will appear in um, several moments. Okay, here is the poll. One moment. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh, now I can take it off. You've got A, B, C, D. Which of those four banana is neutral gray to you? So we're letting everyone vote. Almost everyone is, seems like it has finished voting. We have, wait, there's more. 82% of attendees have voted and 84, give it another few seconds. All right, the answers are in. And what we see, Marcin, is that 64% of the attendees think A is gray neutral. 28% say that B is gray neutral. And we have 3% for C and 5% for D. That is the attendees' answers. So what's the real answer? The real answer is A, so most of you uh, gave the correct one. Um, I will show you once more. Uh, the, okay, one more time. I'm sorry, okay. So, um, the banana B is slightly bluish. The banana C is as blue as the banana D is yellow. The banana A is absolutely neutral. Why some people thought that banana B, and I mean like one third, thought that banana B is, um, is neutral, although it is cold. The reason is very simple. Uh, when we grew up, 
we see banana as a yellow fruit. We grow with the synthesis, banana means yellow. So when we see neutral banana, we automatically add from our memory color to that. That's why for some people, gray banana looked like a warm banana and they chose the colder one, which was banana bee. Um, and one more thing, banana bee was more yellowish than the banana C was bluish. Why is that? Well, simply because we added a lot of yellow in our mind for um, that um, for that occasion. Uh, one thing more regarding um, regarding color red and our memory. What are the colors of Christmas? We might think that the colors of Christmas would be green and gold and well, a lot of green basically, right? But we feel that it's red. The Santa Claus is red, right? So, well, he actually wasn't. Uh, the Saint Nicholas mostly appeared uh, in uh, green or in tan outfit. And uh, only in 19th century by uh, Thomas Nast, uh, he changed the color directly to red and he painted the, um, the Santa Claus only in red. Uh, the white rock um, soft drink in 1922 and the Coca-Cola in 1931 committed and 1933 launched the first ad, uh, created the red uh, Santa Claus with, um, with a silver, with a white beard, chubby guy, very smiley. So they put so much money into advertising, of course, the Coca-Cola red and white, that uh, Santa um, started to um, generate those memories, memories of those colors. So because Coca-Cola invested a lot of money into those colors and to promote them, then a lot of companies started using red as well. When you take a look at the um, single, uh, the first, uh, uh, first record of WAM last Christmas, yes, I'm talking about that um, Christmas carol, uh, then you will see that it's basically fully red. For them, like 80s, I think, the Christmas was red. And um, as you see, as you right now know, the red evokes a lot of different um, a lot of different emotions, a lot of different meanings. For uh, every single culture, it might be different. For example, uh, on my, um, in my country, uh, there was a commercial. It's actually um, written down spring uh, sale up to 70%. But I actually did check uh, what the, the, the commercials were during the Christmas. And they were also um, red, or they only changed um, the type itself, but they lay, leave the colors. Red was Christmas and they actually left for spring sale also, they didn't change to green. They left red to make it more visible. Is it a good idea? It's some idea, it's not the best idea. So one last thing that I would like to uh, share with you regarding um, how we are being raised and how we are perceiving colors. Let's talk about gender and let's talk about kids. 
So I have a boy and a girl. Uh, the boy is uh, two and a half, the girl is uh, almost uh, five. Um, when my daughter was uh, very young, uh, she was given uh, a lot of gifts, uh, well, like every single child. And uh, every single time when um, she received a gift, uh, there was uh, a question, do you like it? Uh, does it go well with your doll? Or uh, do you want to change uh, her skirt or shoes or do something with her hair? Blah, 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 blah. So there were a lot of questions related to her preference regarding color and in terms of aesthetics. What's happening with um, toys um, to my son? So automatically, he's given um, cars. Nobody asks him whether he likes the color of the bodywork. No. Is it fast? Is it sporty? Is it Jeep? Do you like it? That's it. Nobody talks to him about his preference regarding color. There is a gender-free movement right now. So a lot of people are trying to um, raise their kids without, um, I'm talking only about color, about uh, being We all know, let's leave it here, we all know that blue is a stereotype for boy and pink for a girl. But my question is, which pink? The boy doesn't like pink, right? There is a saying in Polish that uh, boys, men actually knows only three colors. I will say it politely, uh, cool color, uncool color, and uh, girly color. So those are three colors that men do know. And um, my question is, which pink is not manly? Venice pink, raspberry pink, uh, Indian pink, uh, panty pink, or candy pink? And you know what? In 13th and 14th century, Christ, baby child Christ, was portrayed as a, a child dressed in pink. So. I wouldn't use words that um, pink is uh, not manly, but something did happen. Well, we've got Barbie pink, but if you would go to Japan, you would see something like, hello kitty. So combination of white and pink gives you direct um, attachments to a girl. So not when you are trying to convince men that pink is okay, you are using different words, you are using different vocabulary. No, 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 it's not pink, it's salmon. Ah, okay, salmon, I like some, yeah, I like sushi, yeah, I can wear it. Um, so the colors are just names and the emotions that are behind it can change the way we feel about the colors and the way we also see them. So beige and brown, eh, not so nice. But the Café Latte, mm, this is nice. It's just name. And this is Barbie Pink. Do you know that Barbie Pink is patented color? There's also uh, one more, um, well, several more, like UPS Brown. The brown is strong, is steady. You can trust on deep and rich black. Um, there are, of course, the Coca-Cola, uh, the Coca-Cola Red. There is a Ferrari Rosso, um, also red color, but this color changed during its period. For example, the Ferrari F40 was painted with so thin layer of, um, of ink, of a, of a coating, that you were capable of seeing 
um, the bodywork um, underneath um, underneath um, the painting. So that would be it regarding color. I hope that it gave you a background that the color for everybody will be something different. The color is simply what we are seeing. But what we are seeing and what we are feeling are two completely different things. Yes, we can predict what will happen when we present certain color palette to a certain group of people. It's not that difficult. We have to learn who and what is our target at this place. But what's more important, we should simply talk to a people that we, we will be doing to our focus group, that we will be doing certain work because they might use different vocabulary than we are. But when they will show you, they will point their fingers, this is too, too dark, this is too bright, this is too red, then you will, even though they're looking at magenta, for example, you will know what to do more. Talk to people, learn about their culture. It will help you a lot. Ginger, uh, can I present uh, one more slide regarding uh, my several webinars that I'm planning to do? Something? Absolutely. Let me just tell our attendees, um, if you have any questions, please put them in the q and I know we're probably running a few minutes over, but we certainly want to answer that. anything you have about color, emotion, behavior, anything Marcin has discussed. We're happy to answer those now and also get back to you uh, later. So yes, please Marcin, show us what you have there. Uh, so quite soon, in about uh, two and a half weeks, I will be starting, um, well, almost three weeks, I will be starting a webinar series regarding color in printing. Uh, I divided the subject onto um, six topics that will be about color spaces like color control, uh, high quality printing as well. And uh, then we will um, talk about how we can use different printing techniques in order to get the same results and the pre-press, of course, about color as well. Um, there you have link M Academy with m-academy.subscribenow.com. Uh, please do um, sign, in, uh, sign in if you are interested. I will be more than happy to provide you with more information. Um, those webinars uh, will be paid uh, 10 US dollars uh, for one or $50 for all six of them. Uh, each webinar will be uh, about 90 minutes long uh, with uh, two, two times uh, 45 minutes with some break uh, in the middle. I understand that it might be an intense uh, subject. Webinars, of course, will be recorded and you will be able to um, access them afterwards. So even though you might not have time to um, um, look at them live, you will be able to uh, attend as well. Thank it's you fantastic. one more time for all, uh, for all your will be able to answer some of your questions if they are present. Well, thank you. Right now, I don't see the questions in the window, but I would like to add to Marchen. First of all, thank you so much for your time and the history and the technology and all of your experience with color. Fantastic. The webinar sounds amazing. Five sessions, 50 US. That's pretty cool. And all those different topics. Uh, I also wanted to mention the recorded version of this will be up in a couple of days and we'll have your link to more of your studies and more of your research and workshops on that link and page as well.
And again, if you have any questions beyond this, or if you go to the recorded version, feel free to send them to us at hello at dscoop.com. And when you leave, you'll see, uh, you'll be given a three question survey. We sure would appreciate it if you could complete that. It lets us know what we did well, what we could have done better, what topics you might be interested in next time. And again, thank you all so much for joining us. I hope this helps you in your discussions about color with your clients. And as Marchin said at the beginning, in our relationships, words, descriptions help us understand. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Discoop, as well. It was a huge pleasure to uh, joining you all. Thank you for all To us, too. Thank you. Stay well, stay safe, everyone, and we'll see you next time.